Today we're going to be learning Lekutei Sichis Chelek Yudzayin, a second Sicha for Parshas Matzaira. This will be an Ian Shir. The focus of this Shir will be to learn the Psukim, few Psukim in our Parsha in three approaches. One approach will be the Torah's Kainim, the second approach will be the Gemara, and the third approach will be Rashi. And we're going to be focusing during the Shir on different Klalim that Rashi bring and on different Klalim of Pshutish Mikra, as we shall see. The second thing we're going to be focusing on is the Hira and Avedis Hashem. Harabah uh, Chassid, Rabbi Label Shapiro, many years ago write, wrote a question into the Ha'aras, Ubiurim, and he left that off with the Shaila, so we're going to try to see if we can give some type of answer for the question that he had. So to start, in the Torah, we have three times where the Torah discusses the Halachas, of Tumah by a Klicheres, which is an earthenware vessel. The first time it discusses the halachas of Klicheres is in Parsha Shemini, Perkidal, Pasuk Lam Gimel. And over there it's talking about the Shemayna Shratzen. And the Pasuk tells us that when one of the Shratzen will yipel Patechei, or one of the Shratzen will fall into an earthenware Kli, it's going to become Tameh. And Rashi explains to us what does it mean when it falls into it. It doesn't need to even touch it. Just the Aver, just the airspace itself will already make the Kli Tame. This week's parsha in Perak Tezvav Hasik we're talking about the Tuma of the Zav. That is a type of discharge that comes from uh, a male, and it's usually because of some type of sickness that he has, but that would make him Tame. Zav is a much stricter type of Tuma uh, relative to Sheretz. Sheretz is only Matame by Maga, by touching, but by a Zav, there's a lot of extra humus that we have by Zav, which would be especially not to go through all the details, but the most significant of them will be that he has mishkav humayshav, meaning that whatever he sits on, whatever he rides on or, or lies down on, that will actually become tameh. He doesn't even need to be touching those items. He's lying on a bed, and under their bed, there is a, uh, let's say, a blanket pop under one of the um, legs to hold it up. Not only will the bed become tameh, but even the blanket will become tameh, which is under the bed. Um, so what does it say regarding, in this week's Parsha, regarding the Klicheres? So it tells about the Klicheres that Klicheres ki yigabai yishaver. That tells us that if a Zav touches a Klicheres, that Klicheres needs to be broken. There is no tara for a Klicheres. And then it tells us that if it's a Kli 8, if it's a wooden Kli, then you're able to put it into the mikvah and that will make it become tahar. So what exactly does a word mean over here when it says kiyigobai, when it touches it? So Bapashtis, we'll learn it right now, just simple translation. It sounds like just by the, the Zav has to touch the klicheres, and by touching the klicheres, that will become tame. So, so far we have the sheretz, where the Pasuk is telling us the only way for the sheretz to be able to matame the klicheres, it has to fall into the airspace. And of course, if it touches the inside of the klicheres, it will also become tame. But if it touches the outside of the klicheres, it will not become klame. By the Zav, it tells us that if he touches it. So simply, it sounds like if he touches it, it doesn't make a difference the inside or the outside, it will become tame. He doesn't say that he has to touch it mid from the inside, just says he touches boy, touches it. The third time we talk about the Klicheres is in Parshus Chukas, and over there it's talking about the Tmei Mace. And over there by the Tmei Mace, which also has certain stringencies that it's mitama ba'oil, whoever uh, the mess touches, or if you're in the oil of the mess, or if you pick up the mess, you're going to become tame for seven days. So it tells us over there, v'chol klipsuah that any container which doesn't have, which is not sealed, I will become tame. And as Rashi over there explains, that that's referring to klicheres, that the only way, that if klicheres, if it's sealed and it's within an oil where there's a mess, then it will remain tar. But if it's open, then it'll become tame. And the reasoning being is because since the airspace is open, so therefore it connects to the airspace of the rest of the oil, and therefore it becomes tame. But if it's sealed, then the only the air space, which is tame within the oil, is only touching the outside of the klicheres. And as we learned already by, by the shratzim, a klicheres only becomes tame from the inside, from the aver, either touching the inside or from the airspace of the inside, but mashainkim from the outside. So that's what we're learning. So now to jump back to our parsha, the question really is, when it says a shernagabai, where it touches it, what does that mean? Does it mean literally touching it in any way? Or maybe touching, we should learn that it's similar to the mess. That just like a mess, which is 
the most stringent type of tuma will become tame only from the outside, uh, only from the outside, and uh, sorry, only from the inside and not the outside. So maybe the same thing will also be by the zav. So that is the question. When we says asher nagabai, what exactly do these words mean? So now to discuss that, that's really the three approaches that we're going to uh, learn. So the first approach we're going to look at is the Taurus Kainim on this Pasik. So Taurus Kainim says, Since the Pasik says, so the Pshat of Yigabai means touches. And as we see within the rest of this Parsha, whenever the Pasik uses the word Yiga, it always means literally touching and touching any part. This is not the first time we see the word Yiga in our Parsha. It says it many times, and it always means the same thing. He's touching a person, he touches a clay, and it's clear from all those contexts, it doesn't need to be in any particular place. So Papashas, when it says over here, also Yigabai, it means touching it even from the outside. I, by a Sheretz, we know that it needs to be specifically from the inside, but it's not, that's not such a Shtarka Kashayla, because Sheretz in general is a much more lenient tuma, but a zav, which is a more stringent tuma, it makes sense that not only can it become a tame from the inside, but even from the outside it become tame. So maybe you can think that would be the pshat that even from the outside of the kli, uh, if a zav touches it, it will be tame. So the Torah kind of brings it kalvachaymer. He says, wait a second. We know we learn. We're going to learn out later on for parshas chukas that by a mass, which is the most stringent level of tuma. It will not become metame klicheres from the outside. So for sure, a zav, which is more lenient, should also not be able to metame klicheres machayrev. So therefore, how should you learn yiga? Yiga means you're touching it specifically from the inside. Then the Torah kind of says, maybe not. Maybe look at it a different way. He says, because technically we have by the zav certain stringencies that even the mess doesn't have. A zav is metame, as we said, by mishkav v'moyshav. A mess isn't. So just like a zav has certain stringencies over the mass, that the mishka v'moyshav of a zav become tamay, so therefore also the negia by a zav could be more stringent. And not only is the negia from the uh, inside going to be metame, because of the, there's another chumra besides mishka v'moyshav by a zav, that even if you touch it from the outside, it would be tamay. And that would be the best way, because then it fits into the pshutisha mikra. The Pasik says yiga. So if it says yiga, this l'chayra should just mean there's one added additional stringency that the zav will have over the tmeimes. So Mara says, no, you can't say that. Sorry, the Torah's kind of says you can't say that because it says in the Pasuk over here, asher yigabai. And then it says also by the korban chatas, asher tivushabai. So just like by the korban chatas, it means from the inside, from the avirai, also over here, the yiga meets the avirai. What is that referring to? So we know that the lacha by korban chatas is that the parts of the korban chatas had to be uh, had to be eaten by the kayan. And the kayanim were allowed to um, eat it in any way they wanted. They could cook it, they could roast it, they could barbecue it. Um, but if they cooked it within a klicheres, so this klicheres was not able to be kashered from the chatas, and therefore they would have to break the klicheres after the was done. So over there it says in the Pasuk, which will be cooked in it. So just like over there, when it says it's being cooked within it, it means within the airspace, because you don't have to necessarily cook it with water. They were able to prepare it in any way they wanted. They could have prepared it, let's say, with the spit over the top of the klicheres, and the meat is hanging within. So it would be cooking from the within the um, klicheres, and it's, it's, it's roasting in there. Uh, so just like over there, it means specifically the only way you can cook with the klicheres is from the inside, and it could be from the either touching the walls, or it could be hanging from within from the airspace. So, so similarly over here, since it says, I'll show you go boy, it means the same thing, that it has to be specifically from the inside. So therefore, the question then, then is, so Ibazai that Asher Yigabai means it has to be specifically touched from the inside, but we know it doesn't need to be touched. It could even be hanging from the airspace, just like the Korban Chattas, it's hanging. So also over here, if the uh, Zav puts his finger inside, hangs some type of tumor within, some type of tumor of the Zav within the airspace, let's say he spits or something like that, uh, he spits. And even if it's caught, <laughs> let's say before it touches any of the walls, but since he spit into that airspace, it'll be able to make a tummy already. Um, how would I know that that would also become, uh, so, so, so therefore the question would be is, why use the Lashon of Yigabai? 
If it doesn't need to be ego, it could just be inside of the Avar. So the Tayanim finishes off. The reasoning is, it's to tell you that it's supposed to be it's trying to tell us the second type of maga. There's a second type of maga, which is which was touching the whole thing at one time. What does that mean? That means by moving it. So even if you're not technically touching the klicheris, it could be directly you're pushing the klicheris from the outside, or you could be using a stick to push the klicheris. That it would be irrelevant. The point is the whole klicheris is being moved, including the inside of the klicheris. So therefore, if you touch it in a way that the entire thing will be moved, that would be another way that it would be able to become Tameh, and that would be the Chiddush of the Pasuk, why it uses the expression Maga, it's trying to say there's another form of touching it that could become Tameh. There could be touching from the inside, even there through the air space, or you could even touch it from the outside, but you're moving it. So by moving it, then you're moving the entire thing, and that would also be able to make it Tameh. So that's how the um, Tars Kainim learns it. And when we look in Rashi, the Pashtas, it looks like Rashi learns it the same way, and that's it says in Rashi like this. On the words, the Klicher says, Rashi writes, Possibly, even if he touches it from the outside, uh, if the Zav touches it from the outside, I'll make it Tame, etc. As it said in that we just read, But Papayal, it's not going to be Tame from the outside, as it says inside the Kainim. But what would become Tameh? It has to be a Maga, which is in the entire Kli, which that is the idea of Heseitai, which is the idea of pushing it. So the Guru Arya and the other Mepharshe Rashi seem to learn very Kipshute, that what is Rashi saying? He's literally quoting the Taras Kainim. And he, Rashi explains our Psukim like the Taras Kainim, that how do you learn the word Yiga over here? It doesn't mean literally touching from the outside, rather it means a type of touching that could, that's pushing the whole Kli. And, and the only problem with the, one issue with that, that be is how would they read it? It seems like Rashi writes it a little bit funny. He quotes part of the Taurus Kainim. So like Mamanachach, if you need to quote the Taurus Kainim, why doesn't he quote the whole thing? And if you don't need to quote it, just tell you where to look. Look at the look at the Taurus Kainim. So the way how they read Rashi is like this. That first of all, he tells you where it is. Maybe it means even touching from the outside. It firstly tells you what the Havamina could be. So then he tells you where to look, look at Isvetar's Kainim. And then he finishes off how should you learn Tak the Pshat? The Pshat that you should look learn it is Magoy What does Maganar Pasik mean? It means moving. So what Rashi's doing is he's not going to bother telling you the entire proof how he knows it means moving and not touching from the outside. Rather, he tells you it, you could have thought that it means from the outside, but if you look at Taras Kainim, you'll see why that cannot be the Pshat, because there's a Xer Shabbat that says boy boy from Khatas. So what does it mean? It's actually Magoy So he just quotes the main parts, how to actually learn the Pasik, that it's Heset, and he tells you what it cannot be. You should not think it's Nagim Achairov, as we see in Taras Kainim, that that would not be able to be the Pshat over there. So that's how the Mephorshim learned Rashi. So that seems honestly like a very, very good Pshat. It seems like it fits well in Rashi. But the Rebbe actually has a very interesting question on it. And, and this question is based on the style of Rashi. So if we were just learning Rashi in a sense like how we would write, so then this shot of the other Mephorshim would actually make sense. He's making his main points. The main point is it's not Maga Macherv, it is Maga, which is like moving it. And he gives the source uh, for, for this idea. But we, when you're learning Rashi, like the Rebbe does, when he's looking at the style of Rashi through the whole Torah, then you're able to see how Rashi works. And Rashi has a certain style. So when you're looking at the style through one Rashi after the next Rashi, after the next Rashi, if this does not fit the usual style of Rashi, then there must be something that's going on over here. Or it might mean that we're learning this Rashi incorrectly and Rashi is really trying to tell us something else. So what we really need to do is we need to see how this Rashi fits in with the general rules of how Rashi writes his Pirish. So what is the, one of the main rules of how Rashi writes his Pirish? Rashi writes his Pirish in a way that, that one is, he always puts the logical argument of why he's learning it in that way. He would never withhold an integral part of the argument on the assumption that we are going to look at the source to figure out what that logic is. 
When Rashi wrote his Pirush, he always put the logic of wives explaining in a particular way within the Rashi. So if you look throughout the rest of the Torah, whenever there's two ways, let's say, to learn a particular Pasuk, Rashi would tell us what the logic is, why he's specifically lear- lear- learning it in that particular way. Especially if you look in Parsons from Shpatim, you'll see that a lot. But Rashi says, maybe it means this way, or maybe it means that way. No, it has to mean this way because of this and this particular reason. So Rashi's constantly telling you why you have to learn it in this way. And L'chaira over here, it would, it would be a much greater reason why Rashi would have to tell you the logic of why he's not learning Kipshutai. Because if you look at the word Yiga, Yiga means touching. That's a very simple translation. And the rest of the parasha, Yiga also just means touching in any way. It doesn't mean moving. So logically, Yiga should mean touching it. And it would just be an extra Chumrah by the Zav. So what's pushing Rashi to tell us that it means a hasit. So if there's a gzer shava, gzer shava is not something which is logical. We're saying is it says over here the word boy, it says somewhere else the word boy, therefore we're learning him in that particular way. That's not something that we'd be able to figure out on our own. Rashi would have to quote that. So one of the integral purposes of Rashi is to explain his argument within Rashi, within the Divra Maschal. And maybe this can tell us, give us an added appreciation of what it means when we say that Rashi is written for a Ben Chamesh Lamikra. So usually you, you, you think of it as like this, at least I, I, I thought of it like this, but it's probably wrong. You think about a Ben Chamesh Lamikra, is like how would a, a small child uh, uh, learn the Pasuk? You know, uh, learning it very simply, uh, what type of questions would he have? And we try to give resolutions to those questions. But I think what it really means is, Ben Chamesh Lamikra, is that a Ben Chamesh Lamikra, he doesn't have any outside sources in a sense to... Um, pervert the way that he's thinking. Meaning is when we look at the Chumash, we already have certain assumptions, we have certain anachas, we have certain, uh, we, ha- we have a certain basis of knowledge before we're coming into the Chumash. You know, we've learned Gemara, we've learned uh, Yisaydi Hadas, we've learned Halacha. So we have, we have life experience, uh, we have our own morals, and we're coming into the Chumash, we're already putting into these, uh, the Psukim, what our uh, assumptions are. So when say that Rashi wrote it for Ben Chamesh Lamikra, what that means is that he wrote it in a way that someone that doesn't have any prior assumptions, he, and he's just utilizing the logic that we found within uh, the Chumash, what questions would he have if he has no other sources? So just reading the Chumash, what type of logical questions would pop up? You know, things like redundancies or things being repeated or contradictions, those types of things that, oh, I, we've said over here one thing and now much later we're saying something which is different, something like that. Or we already said this once, why are they repeating this another time? Or wait a second, this happened much later than the first, uh, you know, than, than something we, we talked about last Parsha. Uh, sorry, it happened much earlier than something we, we talked about in the last Parsha. So it seems like the Torah is not in order. So logical things which a person just reading the Chumash would come up with. So when Rashi wrote his Pirish, he's not just trying to give you a translation about how a child should read it, because if it was just literally like a child, why is Rashi bringing all his proofs within it? Like Rashi wants to say what a word means. So he brings two psukim from Tanakh. How is a child supposed to know? Like it's, it's even for an adult to start translating these psukim in Tanakh is quite difficult. Um, when Rashi makes these kavachoymis or gzer shav, like a child has, to, it's very, it might be very difficult for a child or even an adult to understand what the proofs of, of Rashi are. So why is Rashi bringing this into the Pirish itself? If all he's trying to do is explain uh, the, 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 the Pasuk, that even a child can understand, cut out of the proofs, and really just write the Maskana Sadvar. What does Maga mean over here? It means moving, done, finished. What does this word mean? This is the translation. How do I know it means that translation? How do I know it doesn't mean anything else? Just cut that out. Rather, that's not what Rashi's trying to do. When Rashi wrote his Pirish for Ben Chamesh the Mikra, it means is he, is writing it in a way that somebody that doesn't have any external assumptions or he has external knowledge from other sources and he's reading it into the text. So he's not writing it for such a person. He's just saying that questions that would come up from just reading the story itself or just reading the Torah itself, these questions he's going to answer. And therefore, it could be for an adult. And therefore, Rashi has to prove for this reader what these words mean. So when the regular reader is coming, and he's, uh, he could be sophisticated even, and he has a very strong logic, he knows what's being read, and then he has two options of how to read a Pasuk, and Rashi's saying it means option B, Rashi has to prove that it's option B. Why do you think it's option B and not option A? So jumping back to our story here, we're talking about the Zav, we're talking about, it says, touching the Klicheres. So touching the Klicheres means, you know, um, 
even from the outside, just like in the rest of the parsha, touching means any part of the mishkav, any part of the malishav, any part of another yid that he's touching. It means any part of that individual. So if Rashi's trying to say that's not what it means over here, so the educated reader, and educated again, just means from the psukim itself, just reading the Torah itself, will say, Manolam, how do you know such a thing? It doesn't make sense. What's your proof? Like, why would you say that? It seems poof for carrot from the Pashup Shad to the Pasuk. Therefore, Rashi will have to put into the, 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 the Divra Maschal the argument itself of how does he know that this is what it means. So, going back to our situation, Rashi cuts out the argument. He just tells you where to look. But that's not the style of Rashi to tell the individual to go look somewhere else for an integral argument. It should be noted that Rashi sometimes does tell you to give you a source, and sometimes it might be that that source is to tell you to go look over there. But as the Rebbe has proven from, from again looking through all the Rashi's, whenever Rashi does that, that's a question like which an experienced student might have. So it's not something which is it's a part of the integral logic of the Rashi. The integral logic of the Rashi is always within the different Maschal. You might have some question. Uh, an experienced student who has a bit more knowledge or is a bit more sophisticated might have a question. So then he'll tell you where to look, which would answer that question. Or sometimes um, he, he's trying to give you an additional proof. Like that's actually something we're going to say later on. He wants to give you an additional proof for the concept that he's telling us over here. So he'll tell you also to look somewhere else for additional proofs. So additional proofs, additional reasoning, reasonings, or to answer additional questions that might pop up, that talking he'll give you a different, uh, he'll give you a source, but, but he will never give you the source. Say, if you want to understand what I'm talking about over here, you got to look over there. The integral logic of how to learn the pasuk is always going to be the divra maskel. On the chayra, in our divra maskel, it's not like that. So elamai, we have to learn uh, the rashi over here, not like the Gurariya and the other Meforshim, that he's just coming to really quote the Taras kainim. Rather, what he's trying to do is. From the words that Rashi quotes, within those words itself, we'll be able to figure out what the uh, logic is, as we will see as we go on. So in other words, the question is, where does Rashi know that Yigobai means moving it and not just touching it? It's not from the Gzer Shavav, so where does Rashi Taka know this shot from? So the Rebbe explains that this was what was bothering Rashi, that in our Parsha, there's two extra psukim. The first pasuk, which is extra is in Pasuk Yudalaf, where it says, V'chol Yigabayazav, and the second Pasuk, which is extra, is our Pasuk. Let's look at each Pasuk on its own, why they're extra, and how Rashi explains and answers the issue of them being redundant. So the first Pasuk that we have that seems like is extra, Pasuk Yudalaf, it says, V'chol HaShah Yigabayazav, V'yadav Leishatav B'mayim, V'chibitz B'gadav V'rochitz B'sar B'mayim, V'tam Yad It says that whatever the, whoever the Zav will touch, and his hands, mean the Zav did not, wash his hands yet, or that really means he didn't go to mikvah, then that other individual become Tom and he has to uh, table his clothing and table in the mikvah, and then he's Tommy at Arf. So this Pasuk is extra, because already just a few Psukim earlier in Pasuk Zion, the Pasuk already tells us that, that he who touches the Psar Hazav, he has to wash his clothes, so the Pasuk already tells us this idea that if you touch the Zav, you become Tommy. So why is this Pasuk repeating it over here? So the truth is, over here is a little bit of a different case, because over here it has these words that says, of He didn't go to mikveh yet. And as Rashi explains, that the two cases are a little bit different. The first case in Pasuk Zion is talking about where a regular Zav touches, or a person touches a Zav, but the Zav is in the middle of, uh, you know, the blood still flowing. He's still mamish tame gamur. And if you touch him, you become tame. Our Pasuk is talking about already after the period of time when the blood has already stopped. And what he needs to do is, the only thing left for his Tara is to go to mikvah. So you might have thought that if you, that even if you didn't go to mikvah, you wouldn't be able to give Tuma to someone else. Someone touches you, if you touch someone else, Kamash Mulan, that you're still able to matama someone. So that's the difference between these two cases. But the truth is the Pasuk is extra, because you don't need to have another Pasuk telling us this din that if, even if the blood has stopped, but you haven't gone to mikvah, you're still able to mitama someone for two reasons. First of all, it's a kavachaymer. It's obvious that you would still give tuma. We've already mentioned other types of tuma, and we know that only once you go to mikvah will you become tahar, as the river brings from the idea of, of, of um, a, a yaladah, someone who gives birth, that once she gives birth, she's 
she's matama things, and until she actually goes to mikvah, she's called a uh, until she actually goes to mikvah, she's matamek truma. Until she actually brings her kapara, her carbon, she will be matamek kachim. So we already know that unless you go to mikvah, you're still giving over tuma. And more importantly, and this is the main question is, why do you need to have a second pasuk to tell us this idea that v'yadav leshat of Why don't you just take those three words and put it in pasuk zayin and just tell us the thing that if a, a, a zav, if you touch a zav and he hasn't gone to mikvah yet, then you're going to be tummy. Why bring two cases? One where he's uh, he, the blood's still flowing, and the second case, sorry, by a zav it's not the blood flowing, the discharge. I'm sorry, not the blood. The discharge is still flowing, and the second case where he hasn't gone to mikvah, why don't you just put it all in one case? That even if he hasn't gone to mikvah, he's going to be tummy. And for sure, if the discharge is still flowing, of course, he, he, he would be uh, tummy. And so it seems completely extra. And the truth is, because of this question, the Gemara actually gives a different shot in this Pasuk. The Gemara tells us that the purpose of Pasuk Yud Aleph is to teach us the halachas of hesetazav, of moving Azav. We learned it from Pasuk Yud Beis. But the Gemara says, because of this question, it seems like this Pasuk is completely extra. They learn from here the halachs of, of Hasid Azav. And as the Malbim explains, that usually, the when it talks about Tuma, it's always, a in a sense, a warning to the one who's Tahar, saying, do not touch someone that's Tameh. Do not touch things uh, that a Tameh person has made Tameh. Until this point in the Parsha, it's always about the person who's touching the Zav, or touching his bed, or touching his Mishkav. And, but this Pasuk, it actually flips it around. All of a sudden, it's not about the Tahar person touching the Tameh, it's rather the Tahar, the, the, the Tameh, the Zav, touching someone else. It says, whoever the Zav will touch. So the Shaila is, while all of a sudden, is it switching? It makes more sense, the reason why the Torah always talks about the Tahar person touching the one that's Tameh, is because it's not really, if the one who's Tameh, it's not the responsibility of the one who's Tameh to make sure that no one touches him. On the contrary, it's the responsibility of the individual that wants to remain Tahar, don't touch someone, don't touch something which is Tameh. It's the responsibility of the Tahar individual. But when over here, it switches around. It says the Zav has to be careful. What does that mean? So therefore, the Gemara learns that we're talking about a certain type of Tuma that only the Zav is able to give over, and that's the Tuma of Hesed. Hesed is when the Zav, with his own power, causes a Tahar individual or item to be moved. For example, the Zav picks up uh, the Tahar person, that the Tahar person will become Tami. So that's something only the Zav can do. Only the Zav can use his power to uh, make someone else Tami. So that's why the Gemara actually utilizes this Pasuk to teach us this then. But Rashi doesn't quote that, so it obviously does not use the Pasuk for that purpose. So the question is, it seems like this Pasuk's extra. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi tells us, that there is a Chiddush Din in this Pasuk. The Chiddush Din is that the words V'yadav of Amayim, why does it use the expression of his hands he didn't wash in water? So if we're talking about going to the mikvah, it should have been his body, Leshat of Amayim. What do you mean by his hands he didn't wash in waters? So Rashi tells it because it's t- teaching us how the tefillah is supposed to be done. And the rule of tefillah is that parts of your body which are uncovered, like your hands, has to uh, go into the mikvah without any blocking it. But a part of your body which is usually hidden, for example, let's say your mouth. Your mouth is closed. Um, it says a person that's extremely big and he has folds of fat. So the parts of that, the, under those parts of the fat which are usually covered by the skin, that doesn't need to be covered. So if you have a little schmutz in your mouth or if you have schmutz between uh, those folds of fat and you go to mikvah, that wouldn't actually be considered any type of uh, even if you're makbid and uh, I guess if it's some, whatever, I'm not going to go into the lachas of mikvah. But the point is that uh, those will not be considered chatzitza because it's not revealed parts of the body. So we are learning halachim from the words yad of lafshat of So there is a chiddush din in this pasuk, which we. But the main question still remains: just take those three words, shat of uh, those four words, and just put it into the original pasuk. Why is there a whole other pasuk to teach us this din? You could have just put those same words into pasuk zayim. So the Rebbe brings us to a rule that Rashi's already, already mentioned uh, earlier. And, and this is the rule that Kol par, uh, that Rebbe Yishmael tells us that a, any parsha which is repeated, it's only repeated bishpil davr There's always a chiddush. Meaning, this is a very interesting rule and we're going to take some time to discuss it. But just to explain it in short and then we'll go into more detail, is that the Torah many times has to 
repeat a topic. So when that part, let's say, because it has to add a detail, it has to add another point. So when that detail is being added, it doesn't just add that one detail and, you know, that's it. Rather, it's going to give all the context um, which that detail needs. For example, the one that the Rebbe brings is right at the beginning of Chumash Bereshis, where it talks about, um, it talks about, you know, the Paragal talks about the seven days of creation. And then in Perak Beza talks about man and Pasik Zion uh, talks about man being created. And then in Pasik Yutessa talks about the animals being created. So it's already been t- we already know this idea earlier that man was created on the sixth day. We know the animals uh, were created, uh, the birds were on the fifth, fourth day and the, and the birds on the fifth day. So why is it being repeated? So the Rashi tells us it's because there's an additional points that are being nishadish over here. Uh, the, the extra chadushim are that, first of all, that the birds are made from mud, not just uh, from a cock. And the second chadush over here that tells us is that on the day that they were created, on the day that Adam was created, all these animals were brought to Adam, and he called them by different names. But what happens over here? It's not just adding those extra details that he called them names and they were made from a cock. It tells over the whole idea that Hashem created man, and, um, and then tells us, especially by the animals, that Hashem created all the animals from the earth and all the birds of the Shemayim, and He brought them to man. Why does it have to add the details that He already knows? So the idea is that once the Torah is repeating itself, once the Torah has to add certain details, it gives you the context and the, um, uh, the background that you need to fully appreciate what's uh, being said. Other times the Torah might repeat the words also just for stylistic purposes, that the Pasuk needs to be, was said in one particular way until this point of time. So therefore, let's say, for example, our situation, the Pasuk, from Pasuk Aleph until now, it keeps on talking about the idea of the, za, the, the, the touching, ki that someone's touching, and then chibetz mamayim etar, arv, keeps on saying those ideas of, you know, the kalim being touched, the mishka b'ayshu being touched, and then you have to wash, wash yourself, chibetz begav arv. So to keep up that stylistic purposes, it quotes everything else of the Pasuk. So even though the only really important words of a Yadolai Bamayim, but it quotes the rest of the words because it um, keeps that stylistic purpose uh, the whole time. So that's, that's the idea of Kalparsha, which is repeated. It's only repeated in order to um, teach us the Dvar Chiddush. So let's just look at, at, into that for a few minutes to understand that rule. So Bechlal, one of the important parts of Pshuta Shemikra is to explain why things are repeated. Because things which are being repeated are redundancies. This could be extra words, lacha being repeated a second time, or sometimes a whole parsha could be repeated, and there always needs to be some type of reason why. Sometimes Rashi would tell us, tell us this once, and then we're expected if that type of scenario happens again, you should already know the rule why this is being repeated. And sometimes Rashi will tell you a few times Probably the reason he'll tell you a second time is because that second time, there could be two possibilities why it's being repeated, and he tells you which is the correct possibility. But let's just look at some examples of why the Torah would repeat something. So, for example, we know that by Eliezer, when he went to get a wife for Yitzchak, the Torah repeats like the story. It tells us how Eliezer went there and did the whole spiel, and then he... When he meets the family, he tells them again the Gansa spiel. So why is he keeps why is he repeating the story with all the details again? So Rashi tells us because it's the chiba, the special, the, the specialness of the of the shal avde avis. There's something special about the avde avis, and we could discuss another time what's so special about it. But anyways, for whatever reason, the Torah found that very special. Other times, the Torah could repeat something. Is for example. Moshe Rabbeinu was given the command, so as soon as he got the command, he taught it over the Jewish people. But that command might not have been relevant to much later. So he's taught it once, and then it's repeated a second time, B'Shas Maisa, when it's relevant. Um, a third one, this is another one. The Klolis, according to Bishmal, which according to the Rebbe, Pshuta uh, Shemikar probably goes according to Bishmal, the Klolis, the, the general mitzvahs were said by Sinai, and the Pratim were said later on. So what's the idea? For let's let's look for example, um, Shemitah and Yovel, Shemitah. So we know Shemitah. There was the Klolasah, the general aspect of Shemitah was said already in Parshas Mishpatim, but then the details were said much later on in Parshas Bahar. So when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, he said all the lachas uh, in, in in a very general way, or in many of the mitzvahs in a general way. And then later on, when there was more time or is, or is relevant, let's say they're going right before they went to Eretz Yisrael, it was repeated uh, a second time, but with much more 
details which weren't said uh, the first time. Um, then this same idea could also be even with words. For example, we have earlier on in Parsha Sab about the carbon oil. So it says by the Mizbeach, which the oil was brought on, it says, Loi sikhba, the fire cannot be extinguished. And then a few psukim later, it says again, Loi sikhba. So Rashi asks, why Loi sikhba being repeated twice? So it's to make you be over on two isurim. Meaning is, it's telling you how stringent this is, that you're being over on two isurim if you may let the fire be extinguished. Another one we had not too long ago in Parsha Shmini. It says, Arad and Moshe were having an argument why the chattis of, um, of, of the chattis of Rosh Chodesh was burnt on the eighth day of the Meluyim. So um, they're having an argument. And then Aaron gives his logic for it. And then it says, V'yishma Moshe v'yitav be'enav. So V'yishma Moshe already means that he agreed. V'yishma Moshe means he accepted it and he agreed. So why does the Pasuk says v'yitav be'enav? So Rashi tells it, it says v'yitav be'enav because it wasn't just Stam that he accepted it. But it was great in his eyes. He was happy for it and therefore he told everybody how he did not hear the Salacha and this is something what Aaron was nishadish and, and Aaron is correct. So the, the extra words v'yitav be'enav is trying to tell you something additional about what's going on. So going back to our pasuk, why, why is why is this idea of a yod of leishat of mind not mentioned the first time in pasuk Zion? Why is it only? Uh, why is there a whole second pasuk for this idea of yod of leishat of mind in pasuk Yudalef? So Bemela, I'll ask I'll ask a question now, just maybe to clarify it. Bemela, by all these other examples that we've given, there's always a reason why the Torah had to, in a sense, say it twice. This was Vashas Maisa, this was Vashas the Mitzvah. This was, you know, the six days of Beresha, so everything was said very, you know, Bechlalos. And then, as the story goes on, it picks certain details that it wants to expand upon, and when it expands upon those details, it also gives you the background and the context of what's being said. But when we're looking in our Pasuk, Lachar, you can ask, why would the Torah, even with this idea of any parsha which is repeated a second time is giving you a chiddush din. There is a chiddush din in this pasuk, so yes, it could be repeated, but you could still ask the question: Why don't you just take those few words of and put it in the pasuk zayin? If you know there was, we had to separate the two things. One was in parshas shemais, and the other is in parshas devarim, and was told over many years. Um, uh, one was said many years earlier. One was said many years later to that. And therefore, need to repeat it. Fine. So I can understand why it uses the same words and teaches the same halachas that I've already known before. But in our situation, we're talking about a few psukim apart from each other. So what would be the logic, even about pipshut shemikra, to say that the whole pasuk is repeated because it's teaching another din? Why repeat the pasuk in order to teach din? And just take those four words, put it in the, um, put it in the, the earlier pasuk. So you can answer this uh, in, in two ways with using this cloud. So Papashtus, the most simplest way would be, it's because it's really two separate dinim. One din in Pasuk Zayin is talking about the halachas of touching a, uh, uh, touching a zav. So when it's talking about the halachas of touching a zav, that's one set of, set of dinim. In Pasuk Yer Aleph, it's already going to another set of dinim, which is talking about the tvila of the zav, how the zav has to purify himself. So in Achinami, maybe you could have put the, both of those ideas together, but the themes are very different. So th- therefore, since it's a different theme, therefore it makes sense. They're not going to be in the same Pasuk. They'll be in two different Sukkim. The Pasuk, which is talking about the uh, touching a Zav and becoming Tameh, is one theme. The second Pasuk, which is talking about the Zav going to Mikvah and how he's supposed to go to Mikvah, would be a, a different theme. Therefore, it's two different Sukkim. So the only question is, okay, if I understand it's two different Sukkim, why they need to be in different Sukkim, why repeat uh, many of the same ideas about... You know, touching the Zav and becoming Tamba, and then, he, then the one who touches has to go to Mikvah. We already know that idea. So then we can have this Klal of Abu Shmal. Then, when a, pasik, a Parsha or a Pasik in our situation is being repeated, it's being repeated uh, for a particular Chiddish. But once you repeat it for that particular Chiddish, then we give all the uh, extra details with it. So it needed to say Yod of Leishat of Amayim, but it's not going to just throw out Yod of Leishat of Amayim. It's rather going to give you the context, and it's also going to have the stylistic. Similarity, earlier on it was talking about, uh, it uses those words throughout the whole Parsha until this point. So also now it uses um, those same words. And just to add a second point, it's not a second answer, I'm sorry. It's the same answer, just with a, a second detail, is it actually fits very well according to the, uh, the context of the Psukim. Because if you look at the Psukim, the first 
10 psukim of the parsha is all really talking about the Tahar individual touching things that the Zav made Tameh. Even though it mentions the Zav you know, t- uh, sitting on his bed or his Mishka Vamayshav, it's all really relevant for the one who's touching the Mishka Vamayshav. It's the Zav becomes Tameh, he lies in something, and then you touch the Mishka Vamayshav, or you're touching his spit, or whatever it is. It's all about the individual who's Tameh, uh, the Tahar individual that's touching either the Zav or something that's Tameh. But all of a sudden, in Pasuk Yud, and for the next uh, while, for the next six or seven psukim, the context is now all talking about the Zav. Pasuk Yud Aleph is talking about the mikvah of the Zav. Uh, Pasuk Yud Aleph is talking about, according to Rashi, it's talking about when the Zav moves, Aidei Hasit, the Klicheris, or, or the Kliates. The psukim afterwards talking about the rest of the procedure, about the different kabanis that a Zav has to bring. It's all now talking about the Tara, um, well, Talks about the Zav. The first two are the either the, the some of the tumas that the Zav himself has control of, or it's talking about the actual tower how he's supposed to be purified. So again, we see that it's really two different themes. So to put them all together doesn't really make sense. Rather, it makes more sense to separate the two things. One's about the Zav, one's about the Tar individual, and it's two diff- totally different dinim. Therefore, they're put in different uh, psukim. And I, why are some of these words being repeated? words that hazav, touching the zav, makes you tame, that's pashat, that's only being repeated for stylistic purposes to keep the, um, the psukim and the style of the psukim similar the whole way through. Again, this is Pshut HaShemikra, Api Kabbalah, Api Chassidis, even Api Alachad, different words being repeated is not necessarily only for stylistic purposes, it could be for many, many more deeper reasons, but right now we're doing Pshut HaShemikra, so Pshut HaShemikra, when you need to repeat a topic because it's a different theme, and, and you need to mention certain inyanim, it'll give you also the context or the style of how those psukim should be uh, utilized. So now we can go on to our Pasuk, which is Pasuk Yud Beis. So when we get to our Pasuk, our Pasuk also seems extra. Why? Because what does our Pasuk tell us? The Pasuk tells us that if you touch a klicheres or a uh, you're going to become tame. It, it will become tame. So l'chaira, that seems that there's no chiddush. If we're talking about just a regular negia, let's say, touching from the inside of the kli, what's the chiddush over here? This that a zav can be metame something through negia is very pashit. Because we've been learning until this point that a zav, even if he touches another person, will make him tame. We see that if a zav, even what he his mishka v'moishav will become tame. And, and, and the mishka v'moishav, if he doesn't need to be touching the mishka v'moishav, he sits on a chair and there's something under the chair. Even those things which are under the chair, which is holding up the chair, that also becomes tame. So for sure, if you touch it directly, of course you're going to become tame. So it's it's very obvious that the negia of the zav will become tame. So this pasuk seems it completely extra. So therefore, what would I think the Chiddush would be? So I would think the Chiddush would be is that even if you touch the Klicheres Ma'achayrav, if you're touching the Klicheres Ma'achayrav, that would be the Chiddush. That even from the outside, it will become Tameh. And what about the end of the Pasa Klicheres, uh, the Klicheres that you have to be Meshat, if you have to clean it in water, that talk maybe there's no Chiddush that a Klicheres would become Tameh through touching it. Or the inside, because the kliyets we always know is always tame any way that you would touch it. The chiddush would be dafki by the klicheres that even if you touch a ma'achayer, it will become tame, and that, in that, would make sense. And that's actually what Rashi is trying to tell us at the beginning. Yachol, is it possible that if you touch the ma'achayer, you become tame? And then he tells us kitiisa b'tachayres kainim. So the kitiisa b'tachayres kainim is not is actually just to help prove that point about the logic of being touched from the outside would also make a tummy. The main reason why we have this chiddush is from the psukim itself. This pasuk is extra. So Elamai must be talking about a, a, a negia of the klicheres, which would be a chiddush. What would that chiddush be? The only chiddush would be is that even if you're touching from based on the words of the pasuk, yiga would be touching it from the outside. And then we bring a teres kainim, and the teres kainim actually uses that logic. That the teres kainim says that the logic would be is that even though the tmei meis, um, the Tmei Meis doesn't, is not Matame, a Klicheres from the outside, but a Zav, which has all these interesting Tumas about Mishka Vamaishav, maybe it also uh, would be Matame Ma'achayrav. So when Rashi's bringing to Isabatayrus Kainim, he's not bringing it to tell you about the Gzer Shava. No, the Isabatayrus Kainim is a continuation of his, what you would think to say. Yochel Yitami Ma'achayrav. Is it possible that it would become Tami Ma'achayrav? And that would be the Chiddush of the Pasuk. The Isa B'Tayrus Kainim, as we see in the Tayrus Kainim, that it also wants to say that uh, the Chiddush of the Pasuk would be uh, Tuma Ma'achayrav, and it uses the 
that, that shows you, because the Tumah of Mishka Vemoshev, you would think that has even a stringency over Tmeimes. So therefore, the, pasuk, the Rashi continues, no, Ezeu Magoi. But the point is, now we're seeing that the, according to the Rebbe's explanation, the words Kedisa B'Tayrus Kainim is not going on the beginning of the Tayrus Kainim, where it's trying to say why a Zav should not become Tameh, uh, because a mess has become Tameh, just like a mess shouldn't become Tameh, a Zav shouldn't become Tameh. Rather, it's going on the, really the end of the Taras Kainim, where it's trying to prove that a Zav should become Tameh, that logically it should be actually be worse than the Taras Kainim. And that's also why it says Ad in Rashi. He says, you should read here, V'chulu v'kidis v'tayrus kainim, Ad ezem agai. Why is he saying Ad? You already said V'chulu. V'chulu means read the whole thing. The point is, he's trying to say, is you can't just stop at the beginning. You've got to continue reading, because the real important part is the part that's closer to the end, which is telling you the logic of why a um, Azov should be st- more stringent and even be metamidikli ma'achayruf. And the Rebbe points out on Ara that after, what about the Gzair Shavah that the Taras Kainim brings? Since he said V'chulu and Ah, that L'chayra include also Gzair Shavah. So the Rebbe says, so first of all, Tzarech Yingzas, but he says probably the idea is that's just an additional proof. That this is just a proof that L'maskanas Hadvarim, the Pshat in the Pasuk, is that Ikli is not Metama Machayrav, rather it's coming to teach us Hesit. And this is a proof that Gama Der Halacha, it's also like this. But the main point why he's bringing the Tzarech Kainim is actually for the Havamina. That why would I think that the Kli is Metama Achayrav? It's because of the Kalvachaymer that the Tzarech um, Kainim brings. So the main raya would be, as we said, is because the Pasuk is extra, so much be, must be teaching us a Chiddush. And an additional raya is that we see even from the Karnas Tainim that there's a certain logic why a, um, that, 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 that the Tumah Zav should be more Chamer, that, that it should be able to metamas Akli even Ma'achayrof. So why Taka don't we learn it that way? So the Rashi seems like he gives a very strong basis why we which should be meaning that that a Zav should be able to So the answer is from the Siyam what he brings from the Teres Kainim. Meaning is in other words that the truth is is really another issue within our Pasuk. The student who reads the Pasuk will have a second issue. The second issue is that the words <clears throat> the words that a klichers asher yiga by hazav. The words asher yiga by hazav also seems to be extra, because we already know we're talking about yiga. Because the previous pasuk already says v'chol shay yiga by hazav, so why does it have to say in our pasuk again the words that klich, uh, that the 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 azav which touches the klicheres you have to break it? Just cut out the words yiga by. We're talking about klicheres. All it should have said is the klicheres yishaver. Ah, you might come to tell me. You know what, what we said earlier, this Tandid Bey whenever a, a Pasig or an Indian is repeated, it repeats it with some extra details. But that wouldn't work in our situation, because if you look at the end of the Pasig, it says, it says, that the Kli'etz you should wash in water. It doesn't mention anything about touching it. Why doesn't it say that, you, that, that the Zav touched the Kli'etz? The reasoning is because it's Pashit. Since the beginning of the Pasig is talking about Nigia, obviously the end of the Pasik is also touching, talking about Nigia. So Ibaza, you could say the same thing. Just like the prior Pasik was talking about the Zav touching different things. Um, so also over here in our Pasik, it's also ta- talking about touching uh, separate things. And with this problem, this problem won't be answered by just telling us that he's touching a Ma'cherov. Because we would know that he's touching a Ma'cherov anyway. Even if it just says the Kli Cheres Yishaver, I would know that it's talking about that he's touching it from the outside. Because if not, why mention this whole idea that the Kli Cheres can become Tameh? So, <clears throat> as we said earlier, that the we already know that a klicheres become tami because since we're learning it from the zav, and a zav is, and a zav is more chamer than the than the sheretz and has too much mishka v'mayshav, so therefore obviously it will also be matame a klicheres. So why mention that a klicheres become tami? So it must be coming to teach us something additional, which you want to say to matame klimacherv. Fine, great. So just mention klicheres yishaver. So what's the added idea of saying that, that the Zav is touching the Chicharis? It must be coming to teach us an additional point, which is not going to be answered. And what, what is that additional point? So it has to do with the words, look at the words of themselves. Yiga means touching. We already know we're talking about touching. Elamai must be 
a stronger type of touching. There's one level of touching, but when you're mentioning a second time, the word yiga must be a stronger type of touching. Also, the word boy is extra. We already know we're talking about a klicheres. It should have just said a klicheres, a shayiga hazav. Why does it have to say, use the words boy? The word boy is extra. Rather, as we're trying to say that it wasn't just a regular touching of it, but it was a, it was a second level of touching. It was a shayiga boy. In addition to the regular klicheres, it's also the klicheres boy. So regular tuma, you just need to touch any part of it. But over here, since it says also the word boy, that must mean it's a touching which is bakula. And now this fits very well in what Rashi is bringing. So now... We, Let's look at the logic, because we always said it, we said at the beginning that Rashi will always bring the logic within the goof of his pirush. He won't rely on you to look somewhere else. So is this logic within the pirush itself? Let's look at it. Assuming you're a Talmud that has these two questions, A, that this Pasuk is extra, and why does it have these words, then when you come with these two questions and you look at pirush Rashi, it seems very clear. I have an extra Pasuk, so maybe because of the extra Pasuk, I should, it tells you it should be metama machayrav. Aye, but that doesn't answer the issue of Maga, of Sheyigaboy. Elamai, it must be the Yigaboy, the student's trying to figure out what does the Yigaboy come to tell us. The Yigaboy must be trying to tell us a stronger level of Yiga, because it's repeating those words when it's unnecessary. It's a, you know, some of the, some of what we had before in Parsha Shmini, where it says, Moshe said, Vishma Moshe He accepted it, and it was good in his eyes. I, if he accepted it, obviously it's Vita Beinav. It's telling you a extra level of uh, that he accepted, that he told everybody, he was happy about it. So also here, when it says Yiga second time, it must be tell, telling us a stronger type of Yiga, which is Eiza Magai Shukukulai So this is how the, the it's clear within Rashi itself what he's trying to tell us. So now let's just recap before we go to the uh, Chassidus. So we have three ways of learning this Pasuk, and uh, we'll explain why Rashi doesn't learn it like the other two ways. So we have the Tairus Kainim that learns that it means um, it means Hesit, but how do we know that it's talking about Hesit? It's because of Gezer Shava. So why doesn't Rashi want to just say that it's because of Gezer Shava? Because Gezer Shava is obviously not something which is... Um, Something which is pshutei shel mikra, and that's also not the problem that Rashi had. Rashi's problem was that these that there's extra words in the pasuk, and the whole pasuk is extra. By telling us that it's because of gezer shava, it's not because of the gezer shava that wasn't bothering Rashi. How do we learn this pasuk if there's a gezer shava? If it was just masad the gezer shava, Rashi would have just learned everything from pshutei because a gezer shava is not something which uh, would have caused the Talmud to have the question. The question is coming from the words of the pasuk itself. And what about the Gemara? The Gemara wanted to say that we actually learn hasid from pasuk yudalif. What does Pasuk Yud come to teach us? The Gemara doesn't tell us, but Papashtus, it's probably continuing with that same logic. That Pasuk Yud te- teaches us the general idea of the Hesit of Azov, that he could be masset to anything. And then Pasuk Yud Beis tells us it's not just when he's being masset to a person, but even a Klicheres, you'll be able to have a Sata. So why doesn't Rashi learn it that way? So Papashtus, the reasoning is because within the prior Pasuk, Pasuk Yud there's no reason to say that the Nagi over there means a special type of Nagiya. What's the Hechrich within the Pasuk itself? The only Hechrich is that the Pasuk's extra. But this that the Pasuk's extra, Rashi has an answer for. Because it says, And any Pasha which is Nishnas twice, it's, it, it could be taught, it taught with all the details in order for that Dvar Chiddush. So therefore, Rashi doesn't have a problem with that Nagiya. So he can learn a Kipshute when it says that the Zav touches... Uh, the person, it means kapshuta, he's touching in a regular way. It's only when he comes to our Pasuk, when it says again these words, the whole Pasuk is extra, and B, it says again the idea of Yigabai, then we know that there's a, a stronger level of Yigia, and what would that be? That would be the Hesit of the Zav. Now let's do the lesson in Avaynus Hashem. So we know that a Klicheris is made out of dirt. That re- represents a person, because a person's Yisoyde, his origin is from dirt. It says in the Pasuk, Ki Afar Ata, etc. So the ruling is that, that the earthenware Kli cannot become impure by touching from out, something touching it from the outside. Which that means that these Gashbistik and Yana that attach to a person's body, the person's the outside of the person's uh, the outside of the person, meaning the outside of a, of a yid, is his body. That cannot defile the etzim of a yid. So the reasoning is that since Hashem created us in such a way that the body needs to have eating and drinking and all other alpiteva, we have we enjoy it, and. And, and actually, even more than that, part of our job is Azov Tazav Imai, that we have to make a Dirb so we need to be involved with the world. Therefore, we're not Shuldik in this that we sukaklep that these in Yonam al could detach themselves to us. Um, so, therefore, 
being attached to Yonam Hazza, which is something which is natural to us, that will not be metamazine the etzim of a yid. But this only applies if it's a klich, if the person is like a klicheres, because the klicheres is something which is bottle offer like dirt, which is, has a you know bittel. But if you're like a kliates or a klimatachas, kliates is a wooden kli, which means that you view yourself as a fully developed individual, or like matachas that you have a strong uh, personality, a strong yeshus, just like metal. Then you are not the same way that Hashem created you. You've already added on to your identity. Once you've already added on to your identity, then. Um, you are able to become Tameh. So, but what about a, a Zav? A Zav, what is a Zav? So the Chinuch tells us that a Zav is, and Hashem means that you're leaving the Der Chayesher and you're being very involved with your eating and in your drinking. Uh, as we know that a Zav is a type of sickness that comes upon the person. It's a Chayli Aguf, which just means that in a Vaitis Adam, you're in a sense Megar the Yitzhahara. You're getting involved in more than what you naturally need to do. So I might think that since you're getting involved much more than you need to, that actually could cause the person to become Tamei, to eat what you need to eat and you enjoy it. Okay, that's something that you can't control necessarily. But to, to, to fresh her eye and to have much more of Inyonim Ahaza, even if it's not something which is also, that could be problematic. And that you could even just a... Touching ma'achir, meaning touching that that which touches the body can make you tummy. So kamash malan, that even such a thing would not actually uh, make you tummy. So what would make the individual tummy? So the only thing that makes the individual tummy, this is amagoy shukukulai, meaning is only a type of tumor that reared on the klolos adam. That's the only time when a klicheres is tummy. But just a regular negia from Azav, that wouldn't be able to affect the etzem of yid. The Rebbe doesn't explain what he means when he says that amagoy shukukulai. And then he finishes off, like just this is the Psaktan of the Rambam, that a Yid, that um, this is by the Hilchus of Kedushan, is that, a, 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 sorry, of Gershon, that a Yid um, has to want to give a get his way. You can't force him to give a, a get. What happens if the Bezdin Paskins, and he says he doesn't want to actually give it, even though the Bezdin Paskins that he needs to give. So the halacha is, the Bezdin will force him to give it until he says, I want. So the Shailah is, what do you mean? You're forcing him until he says he wants, that obviously means that he doesn't want. You're just forcing him. So the Rambam says, no, the true essence of a Yid is that he wants to do the Torah Mitzvah. It's just Yitzrei Hushatakvai. So the true essence of the, of the Yid is that he wants to do it. So that is the basically the lesson of Vaidat Hashem that even when we're living in this, this world and we are involved in Gashbis Kinyanim, and even more than that, sometimes we can get involved more than we need to. Nonetheless, that does not affect who the Yid is. And as soon as one re- remembers this, you're able to remove this dirt uh, uh, that's covering your, the true ad desire of the Yid, and it will reveal the Amos Hashem that the Yid didn't want to do, uh, to be a Yid, and he wants to do Kol HaMitzvahs. So, to, to discuss the question that Rabbi, or Rabbi Chassar Rabbi Shapiro, the Rosh Hashiva of Miami, uh, had, so he wanted to understand that it says in the second last paragraph of the Ice that the only type of Magoi, that Maga that would make you tell me, it's a Magoi Shukukukulai that reared on uh, the etzim of a yid. So he wanted to know what type of what, what type of inyan was able to affect the etzim of a yid. Especially, he says, he's just right afterwards, he brings the psaktin of the Rambam, that every single yid, the etzim wants to do what Hashem wants. And therefore, in your kaifa isai, he, he, he says a roitzani. So what is this inyan that says, that reared on, what would be an example of something which reared on the etzim of a yid, which would touch the essence of a yid, or move the essence of a yid in a negative way? So one of the answers that were given in um, the Arsa Biurim, I think some time later, that the individual wanted to apply, that he wants to say it's the Indian of Avoy Zara. That explains in from Tanya, from Perkid Chas to Perk Chafei, how uh, someone who does Avoy Zara, it, um, it causes a complete uh, separation from the unity of Hashem. So you're completely separating yourself from Hashem, and that's why even a Kal Shabakalim, when he comes to a situation of uh, Avoy Zara, He's willing to be moiser nafesh because he realizes at that moment that if he does this avodah zara, he's going to completely separate himself from Hashem. So that's what this person wanted to explain. But we cannot give such an explanation over here. First of all, because it seems like a very big jump. We're talking about that if you eat too much or drink too much or you're too involved in oil mahaza, that won't make you tame. To jump from that to say that nothing will make you tame, including doing all 612 averis except the vera of avodah zara, that seems like a very big jump. It seems like the Rebbe is just saying eating and drinking and being too involved in Oil Mahaza 
but they're all dvarim hamutarim, you're just doing too much of it, that won't make you tame. But when you're doing, you know, to say that based on, from the last Lashem that he says about the, uh, that's something which affects the etzim of the yid, we're talking about specifically of Zara, it doesn't seem that's the mashmois of what we're talking about. And second of all, if you go to the beginning of the Sif, he also mentions that it's, this is a dim which is specifically by Kli Cheres, where a person has bitl. But if an individual is like a Kli, uh, kli Mateches or a Kli Eitz, then even a simple Negiyat, even an Hazda, which would be able to him. But if we're talking about the Etzim of Yid, how could anything be Metame, uh, the Etzim of Yid? So I, I don't think that's what the, the Rebbe is trying to say. So rather, I think th- to clarify what's going on over here, when the Rebbe is talking about the etzim of a yid, and he's not talking about the etzim of an asham of a yid. He's comparing the chetzoinius of a kli and the panemius of the kli. The chetzoinius of the kli, he's saying, is the body. So what's the etzim of a yid? The etzim of the yid is his neshama, is the more internal aspects. Probably, I think it means the neshama, but maybe, you know, if we're talking about the chetzoinius of the body, which is involved in the it probably even means more the, um, the the senses, eating, drinking, the senses that a person has. And the etzim of a yid is his higher kaiches. Um, his seichel, his midas, uh, maybe even more than that. We can, you know, we're talking about the neshama, you know, the the the, the seichel and the midas of the neshama. Uh, and, and what we're trying to say is that being involved in oilam haza, that's not going to affect your neshamas. So even though you're eating, you're drinking, and, and it's making your body stronger. When I say strong, it means also makes the natural tendencies. The more you eat, the more you drink, the more you actually desire these things. So your natural tendencies of the body will get stronger and have a stronger desire for these things. But that will still not affect who you truly are. It's not going to affect um, your neshama. It's not going to affect your emotions, the higher parts of what what is the makeup of a yid. But if a yid let's say it's like a kli or, or klima tachas, meaning is that a person has yashos. So when you have yashos, so then already you've changed who you are. Already your personality is not something which is, your neshama is something which is nizbatl to Hashem. Once you already are like a klima tachas or kli you're already um, covered up. You're already hid your, your neshama. You're already considered an, another identity. It's not that the panemius of who you are is still all you want is Hashem, but you have your body which has its desires. You know, you, you, like by the klicheret, it seems like your neshama still wants Hashem. It's still, that's all it really, it has an involvement in it. But your body also has its desires and its, its cravings. So we're saying that one, one won't affect the other. The, the klicheret, the, the, the body won't affect the neshama. But when we're talking about when a person's already like a klietz or klimatachas, when he already has problems with this yashus, that means already his personality, the essence not the essence of the neshama, but the essence of who he is relative to the chutzonius, which is his body, that's already been affected. And that's the higher also what we're talking about, the Zav. So we're saying, by a Zav, when he's just involved, you know, he's eating too much, drinking too much, that won't be metame uh, who you are. That won't affect who you are. Because that's, again, only considered chutzainas. But if there's a Maga, Shukula, he's being pushed. When you're being pushed, it's not just your body that's being pushed. The whole body and everything which is in it is being pushed. So that's something which is more severe. Uh, it, it could... So the Rebbe doesn't say what that is, but it sounds like it's something which would, uh, like there's, there's a general shift of, of who he is. It's not just he's eating too much, but maybe this comes his lifestyle, like instead of an individual that's learning and davening and hulu, but he might be involved, he enjoys Eidlam Hazat too much, this might become his lifestyle. Magosh if we're talking about a Zav, according to what the Chinuch says, is someone that has Hasmada Ba'achila, that he's, uh, involved in that, it could be a magashukukula. It's not just he's, uh, you know, an a- added too much, like an incidental touch, uh, that he's doing too much of it incidentally. But it means that this is becoming a lifestyle, so that would change who he is, just like the union of Yeshus can change who you are. So also, if you've changed that, you're not someone that wants Torah mitzvahs, and not a person that has obviously in your Hashem, now you're a person that wants achila v'shtil v'chulu v'chulu, that would actually change who you are. And this that the Rebbe brings the Rambam, I think he's just bringing the Rambam, to, to, to show you and to express how a yid is made up of different parts. That there's a chatzainius and then there's a panemius of a yid. That even if bechatzainius you want achila uh, v'shtia, that doesn't mean that's who you truly are. And, and therefore, if you're forced, 
it becomes revealed what you really want. So there could be a situation where you have two ritzoynes. There's a ratzin that you want a chil but we're still saying that even if you want a chil that's not really affecting who you truly are, that you're a yid that really wants Hashem. So you have a little of a push, a little uncovering of the dirt, you realize that the person was never even tummy in the first place. And that's the whole diak, that you weren't even tummy in the first place. Masha Inkin, if a person... If it's a maga shuhukukulai, if it's being completely involved in gashmi, so maybe even worse than that, doing uh, a verus v'chulu, then a person will talk and become tame. And when a person t- uh, becomes tame, that changes who he is. And then it's th- then it's a real change that th- then it's a real change that needs to be placed. It's not just a matter of blowing a little bit of the dust away. The person has to do a, a proper tshuva. So the Rambam would always agree that whether you're just too much involved in gashmi or you've totally changed who you are. Uh, the etzim of a yid always wants Hashem. But the Rebbe is trying to bring over here is how you can have two ritzainists at the same time. That you could have a rutzin for uh, uh, Gashmis at the same time. You're, you have a deeper rutzin which is for Hashem. But you could take that one step further. You could have a rutzin to do something which is a mamish and a vera. But at the same time, you could still, in your essence, really want to connect to Hashem. And that's what I believe that Sicha is trying to tell us. That when it's just... Uh, more of like the daily lifestyle, you you're have too much an enjoyment of Gashmias, that doesn't really make you Tame. You're still, uh, uh, it's very easy to reconnect to Hashem because you're not even Tame in such a situation. But when it's a complete change of your lifestyle of who you are, then Taki, you need to have a complete Tahara B'mikvah, the Hulu, meaning is you need to probably change your lifestyle and change who you are in order to change Hashem. But always, that goes to be another Ramaz that the Rebbe is bringing by, the, by saying the Ramam specifically is that he's being Ramaz that even if you do have a tumum which is Maga Kukula, it doesn't really matter. There's still the essence of the Yid is always that he wants to reconnect to Hashem.